ahead and open up your Bibles to Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3 this morning. I mentioned at the beginning of the service that this is one of my favorite passages of all time. Um, and I, I know if you're around here for long, you like. I think you say that a lot. I probably do. Um, but this passage is one that God's used in my heart in different ways. When I've been reaching seasons of transition, there was uh, one particular time. In fact, the first time I really remember studying this passage, I was getting ready to, to kind of start into a new venture with God and a, a different thing that he was calling us to do. And this was the, the passage for the Bible study the night before I was supposed to get on the plane and go to Maine where I was going to work with some church planners for about three weeks the summer after I graduated from high school. And God did a lot in my heart through that. So this has just been a, a very powerful passage for me. But um, by the way, congratulations, you made it to 2021. All right, congratulations. Uh, I heard somebody say that just like Fight Club, the first rule of Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club. And in the same kind of uh, vein, the first rule about 2021 is you don't talk about 2020. Okay, that's what um, I've been told. So we're not going to talk about that. But we would say that as we look toward this year, we have no idea what's going to happen. Isn't that reassuring? Uh, I, it's my job, by the way, to, to help break down any illusions you have in life, okay? That's part of my job is grounding you in reality. So if you've got, you know, high hopes for what's going to take place this year, um, it's my job to dash those. So congratulations. Glad you came. Thanks for watching online. Uh, you're dismissed. Just kidding. Um, as we look at it, though, I, you know, we really don't know what we're going to be facing in the year to come. I wish that I had a crystal ball and could predict the future, but that's not an ability that God has given to us. However, there is something that I can almost guarantee will happen at some point. At some point, you are going to be faced with a decision to either go on with God or stay where you are, okay? There's going to be something that comes up, and there's going to be a, a, a changing point. There's a fork in the road. Actually, I, I noticed as we were driving on the interstate yesterday, there was an exit ramp. And uh, on the exit ramp, there's, you know, the, the one ramp goes this way, the interstate goes this way, and there's the guardrail in the middle, Right? Somebody apparently didn't want to choose, um, and they went straight through the guardrail. As you can imagine, that didn't work out well for them, right? There, in life, there are decision points where we have to choose. We can't just kind of plow through the middle of it. There's a time when you have an opportunity where God's calling you to step out in obedience. God's calling you to overcome a sinful habit, something like that, that as you're looking at it, you have a choice about whether you're going to go on with God or you're going to stay where you're at. This morning, what I want us to do is look at what do we do when we have that kind of moment. I don't know what's going to happen, but most likely you're going to have some kind of tough choice. And if you're like me, I have this really bad habit of analysis paralysis where I will sit down and I can make a pro and cons chart. I made a pros and cons chart before I kissed my bride, okay? Like when I was trying to decide, I, I, it's really, I'm one of those weird guys. Um, I didn't date anyone but Samantha. I had never kissed anyone besides Samantha. Still haven't. Um, and at, before I kissed her, though, we'd been dating for a little bit of time, and I actually waited out a series of pros and cons as to whether or not I should kiss her, okay? That's how ridiculous my head works, all right? I, I get into this analysis paralysis. I can argue any side of any argument you want me to take. I can come at it from any angle. I can talk you out of something. I can talk you into something. That's just part of my nature. There comes a point in time, though, when it's time to stop talking and it's time to keep going, Right? You've, you've analyzed it. It is wise to stop and try to evaluate a decision and don't just go with your gut every time and those kind of things. But there comes a point in time where you have to stop deliberating and start doing. What do we do when we're in our walk with God 
and we find ourselves in one of those situations where the time has come. I have, uh, you know, one of the things you got to realize when God invites you to join him in his work, it comes with an expiration date. This doesn't stick around forever. You know, God, it, it, as you, you read from the book of Esther, God told Esther through Mordecai, if, if you don't do what God's told you to do, basically, then he'll raise somebody else up to do it. In the same kind of way, when God gives you an opportunity and you're presented with a choice of do I go on with him or do I stay where I'm at, what you'll find is that that comes with a limited time expiration date just like your bottle of milk. So when you hit that point where you know what the decision is, you've deliberated and you, you, you really can't justify thinking about it or praying about it anymore, you know what you're supposed to do, how do you go on when that thing seems absolutely impossible? when it seems way out of your league, far beyond anything that you could ever do. Well, here's what's great. God gives us in his word examples of times when he brought his people up to those very same kind of situations. That's where we're going to find Joshua and the nation of Israel here in Joshua chapter 3. So like I said, go ahead and open up your Bible. We're going to cover the majority of this chapter today. Uh, so we're going to be, keep your finger there and we'll, we'll keep coming back to it. Some of you, as we're talking about this, you may already know what the decision is that you're weighing out. You've already got it, you, you know, you're like, oh man, I, he's talking to me. For one, first off, I am not God, okay? So keep in mind that just because I preached on this doesn't mean that I am the answer to your prayer. Now, it may be that God uses his word to help lead you and guide you in the decision you're making, um, but don't blame me if you were wrong, okay? There's my disclaimer for the day. Y'all all right? You, you awake this morning? So here in Joshua chapter 3, we're going to look at this time when the nation of Israel was in that kind of place, okay? Um, back where we are here in Joshua, we saw that Israel's facing that kind of decision where they had to go on with God. They couldn't stay where they were. God had promised over 400 years earlier that he would give them the land that we now know as Israel or the land of Canaan. Forty years before they were at the point we're reading now, God had brought them up to the land and they refused to go in. They refused to believe that God could lead them and that God could take care of them and deliver, them, deliver the land to their hands. So they stopped where they were. God turned them around and they wandered around the desert till all of them died. Yay, happy stories. Now, 40 years later, we're back at the edge of the Jordan River. They're getting ready to cross over, but there's a problem. The problem is the Jordan itself. As they're looking at it, the Jordan is an interesting river. It actually snakes back and forth a fair amount. So as we, we find, crossing it can be tricky under the best of circumstances. There's a lot of brush on both sides and things like that. So it, it's kind of difficult to find a ford there. And here's the other problem that we'll find in this passage. The Jordan River was at flood stage, okay? So what that means is as it was overflowing its banks, there are areas where the Jordan River, when it snakes back and forth, can be up to a mile wide. Now, we're looking at a couple million people with all of their stuff, all of their livestock. You've got men, women, children, all kinds of stuff that they're carrying with them. And God's telling them, it's time for you to go across a flooded, swollen river that may have been up to a mile wide. Now, go. Here's what I love about it. Read, start with me there in Joshua 3, verse 1. Joshua started early the next morning and left the Acacia Grove, which is the translation for the, the name Shittim that your Bible may have used, with all the Israelites. They went as far as the Jordan and stayed there before crossing. After three days, the officers went through the camp and gave them instructions. All right, we'll come back to that in a second. Isn't this just like God? Now, how many of you know how God loves to work sometimes? I don't know about you, but sometimes it seems like when I've got something coming up, things are hard, things are tough, it seems like God brings you right up to the cusp of it and lets you stew on it for a while, Right? You know, I mean, here they are. They're looking at a swollen, massive, raging river, knowing that God's getting ready to call them to go on the other side, and he parks them there for three days just watching the water go by. I don't know about you, but the longer I have in front of a decision like that, 
usually the more paranoid I get, right? The more I start overthinking it, the longer I'm like, there's no way. There's just not a chance that we could actually do that. But it's so great because before he even tells them how he's going to work or what he's going to do, he brings them up to the edge of the river and just makes them sit there and watch. Sometimes God does that for us. He leaves us with a decision for a while. As you face and follow the unknown of 2021, God may bring you right up to some massive obstacle and leave you staring right at it. He may be leading you to spend more time with him, but it seems like there's not a single minute to spare in your schedule. Maybe he's calling you to to follow him overseas in missions or to help start a church somewhere or any kind of crazy out-of-the-box thing in your head, and you're like, there's just no possible way that I could do that. There's no way I could go anywhere. And, And as you think about it, maybe he's calling you to teach or to lead or to switch jobs but there's just too much about it that wouldn't work. You don't have the skills. You don't have the time. You don't have the money. There's too much at stake. You just can't get through it. Now, guys, again, I'm not telling you, you know, sell the farm and go make some crazy off-the-wall decision. However, there are times when what God calls us to do seems crazy. It seems ridiculous. I'll be honest with you. Most of you guys weren't here for this. In fact, actually, looking around the room, I think Liz is the only one who was here. Um, When I first came here as pastor, pretty much everybody told me not to. Um, the, the church had had a, a rough go of things and had not always made some of the wisest decisions. And so all of the guys in the SBCV, our state convention that we work with, said, don't take the church. But you know what I felt like God was calling me to do? Take this church. You know what? A decade later, I'm so glad that God let us do it. I mean, there is so much that he's done in my heart through you. There's so much we've been able to see God do together. I wouldn't trade it for anything. But there are times, I mean, we're, when I first came, we had like 35 or 40 people on a Sunday morning and a million-dollar mortgage and all of these kind of things. I mean, it, it was scary. There are times when God calls us to make a change, to make an adjustment, to, to step out in faith, to, to maybe overcome something that's been a sin that your family has struggled with for generations, where your dad did this and your granddad did this, and now you know that God's calling you to break the cycle and for you to overcome that and stop acting like they have. And you said, there's no possible way. Well, here's what I want you to see. God's going to give us three basic steps as we look through this of how he worked through the nation of Israel to help you to see how you can follow him in moments like that. Now, real quick caveat as well. I'm not sitting here telling you that God is going to magically, miraculously, whatever, remove every obstacle in your life. That's just not true, okay? However, what I'm going to show you is that when God calls you, to step out in faith, to obey him, to do something. When God's plan takes you into the impossible, he is more than capable of making it happen, okay? Now, look at me again. As we're looking through this, we're going to go ahead and try to break this out into three steps. If you're not facing a decision, some of you may already have a decision in mind that you know that you're kind of needing to apply this with. Some of you, you just need to kind of file this away for later. You might want to write it down so you can look back at it later. But here's the three basic steps. The first one that we're going to see is, first, if you're going to go on with God, you have to get ready to go, all right? You have to get ready to go. Go back and start with verse 1 again. Joshua started early the next morning, and they left the Acacia Grove with all the Israelites. They went as far as the Jordan and stayed there three days before crossing. After three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God carried by the Levitical priests, you are to break camp and follow it but you're to keep a distance of about a 1,000 yards between yourselves and the ark. Don't go near it so that you can see the way to go, for you haven't traveled this way before. I love that statement. We'll get back to that later. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves because the Lord will do wonders among you tomorrow. 
Now, in this, we're seeing God getting the nation of Israel ready to go. He's moved them up to the Jordan River. Like we said, he let them sit there for about three days. Now it's time to move again. If they're going to see God work, they're going to have to make some adjustments to get ready to move. Now, the first ones we notice are the external adjustments, right? They had to pack up from the Acacia Grove or from Shittim and go down and get next to the Jordan River. Then God tells them that when the priests set out with the Ark of the Covenant, they're to break camp, they're to pack up, and they're to get ready to start walking. Okay, so there's those external adjustments that they had to do. They had to be ready physically to move and go somewhere that they had never been. Now, often, this is something that's easy for us to miss, but guys, if you catch nothing else out of this message, I want to remind you that you can't stay where you are and go on with God. You you can't stay the same. You can't stay where you are and expect to continue moving forward with God. It just kind of makes sense, but it's so obvious that sometimes we miss it. They can't take possession of the land that God's giving them unless they're ready and willing to move. So as you're thinking about following God, don't forget that sometimes you'll have to make external changes. That may God may call you to change jobs, to move houses, to be able to change the way that you're spending your time so that you can devote more time to serving the Lord or carving out that time to spend with him or telling other folks about Jesus. He may cause you to change the external way that you speak to others or speak about others so you can walk in right relationship with him. There are external changes that have to be made. Maybe that, by the way, maybe that's why you're bored with following God. I mean, I mean let's be honest, guys. Sometimes I, I've been a Christian now for, I've been walking with Jesus, I guess, since I was nine. So that's a while, uh, longer than I want to admit, 28 years, something, 26, 27 years. I don't, I'm 37, whatever that is. I don't, and sometimes I've let myself get bored with it because, you know, you get up, you read your Bible, you pray a little bit, you go on, you do your thing. Maybe part of the reason we get bored in our walk with God is because we're not willing to make the external adjustments to change. We've played it too safe. You know, when you think about the great men and women of God throughout history that you admire and the biographies you read, a lot of those folks left everything and sacrificed everything to be able to follow God. They left their families. Remember back in the old days when you did missions, you bought a one-way ticket. You didn't come back unless it was in a box, right? You you were going out to the field forever. That's how you were just going to go. So maybe our problem is we play it too safe. We're content to live the American dream, to have the money we have, to have the jobs we have, to have the nice family, the chicken in every pot, the two-and-a-half car garage, whatever. We're we're content with that. And instead of actually saying, God, is there a way that you want to make me uncomfortable? Maybe Maybe I need to sell my house and move to a different neighborhood so that I can have a different place where I can invest in the kingdom of God. Maybe I need to quit my job and and change jobs so that I have more time available to serve in in the kingdom of God in different ways. Maybe we need to skip that vacation this year and, and use those resources to help the work of what God's doing overseas. That's really tough, isn't it? But maybe that's why we're bored. It's because we play it too safe. God didn't save you for you to stay the same. He saved you to shape you into the image of Jesus. That's that dwelling and delighting in God's word that we were talking about last week, that as you spend time with God and as you learn who he is, he changes you and he shapes you and he molds you. And then you have these opportunities to learn who he is in a better way. See, the people of Israel could have stopped right there. They did before. God brought them to the promised land. They were ready to go in and they stopped. They refused. They could have said, you know what? The river's too big. We're fine. We're just going to stick out here. We're good. 
But if they had, if you go through the rest of the book of Joshua and you look at the incredible ways that God worked over and over and over and over again to deliver whole nations into their hands, they would have missed seeing all that God had for them if they'd stayed where they were. If, if God's calling you into the unknown, are you ignoring what God's saying and settling for less than his best when your walk with him or your job or your marriage or your family? Are you ignoring the changes that he's calling you to make? Could it be that maybe God's calling you to make some kind of external change that's going to be impossible? It just doesn't make sense. There's no way to, to make it work. Part of getting ready is being ready to make those external changes, but as we've seen throughout our study of the Sermon on the Mount and elsewhere in Scripture, those external changes only happen if you've made the internal change to follow Jesus. Remember, we, we said that, that externals were what the Pharisees were all about. The religious leaders in Jesus' day, they were all about making sure that they did all of the good Christian-y kind of things. It wasn't Christian then, but the, the good religious things to impress everybody. But inwardly, their hearts had never been transformed. As God's calling them to make these external changes to follow him, they also had to make the internal changes in their relationship with him. Look at verse 5 again. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves because the Lord will do wonders among you tomorrow. Now, consecrate, that's a word that I can guarantee to you, you have not used this week, right? At no point did you say, hey, consecrate. Um, The closest you got was, did any of you eat on Christmas china this year? Anybody have their china that they use at Christmas or New Year's for special occasions? I was helping my in-laws organize their garage, and I found the china that we used to eat on for special occasions in a box in the garage. You know, we have these plates at home. They came from Walmart. They're about yay thick, and they're about 30 cents, 50 cents a piece. If you even look at them with a knife, they scratch, right? You know what plates we let the kids eat off of? Those. Those are the plates, actually, those are the plates we use on a regular basis because we have to hand wash our dishes because our kitchen doesn't have a dishwasher. So, um, it, well, it does. It's me and Samantha. Um, and so we use the cheap, thin plates because, you know, if something happens, it's no big deal. But on special occasions, we do have a box of china that we might pull out if we want to feel really fancy, you know, and drink some sparkling grape juice or something, you know, feel real uppity. Those special dishes are set apart for special use. They're not the ones that you use all the time. That's the idea behind consecrated. Consecrated is the idea of set apart. It's set apart from that everyday stuff and set apart to something else. When you, when you take something out of one box and set it on the counter, you're, you're taking it from something and putting it to somewhere. So when he says to consecrate themselves, what he's telling the Israelites to do is pull yourself out of living in sin and in a lot of the things that you've been doing. Now, they were to consecrate themselves in a very unique way because God was doing something very specific. However, as they pulled back from the things that they were normally doing and the way they were normally living, as they consecrated themselves, what that meant was they were seeking to live holy lives doing what God called them to do. Here's the thing that you can do, whether you have a change that you know God's calling you to make or not. Start here. Start by consecrating your life. Start by asking God to show you where you've sinned and where you've fallen short of God's design, where you've gotten off track with him. Ask God to give you forgiveness and restoration and grace to be able to walk in that. So that way, as you're consecrated and you're set apart, just in case you think that's an Old Testament thing, by the way, remember that God told us in the Sermon on the Mount that we're to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. We see it in Peter. He tells us to be holy as I'm holy. So this is not just an Old Testament thing. 
This is for all of us who are following Christ to consecrate ourselves and set our lives apart. So is there anything in your life where you're living in such a way that's not God-honoring and you know it? If you are, then why would you ever expect God to do more than what he's doing right now? Why would you expect to be able to go on with God to take the gospel to the nations if you're not willing to share the gospel with your neighbor? Why why would you expect God to, to bless you with more money or to open up the finances if you're not faithful to use the ones that he's already entrusted to you for his name and his glory? Why is God gonna give you a better job if you're not working well at the one that he's given you? God can use you in spite of your sin. He does it all the time. There's no guarantee. And if you want to see God at work, if you want to see God do what only God can, then you need to live a life that's consecrated or set apart. Here's how Paul said that to Timothy. He said this in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21. So if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he'll be a special instrument set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. He said, if we will live set apart from any dishonorable thing, anything that doesn't honor Jesus, anything that doesn't look like what God would call us to do, if we'll live set apart from that, then we can be a special instrument of God ready to be used for anything that God calls us to do. That's why I say we start with this. Like I said, you may not know on the horizon what the decision may be that God will be calling you to make this year. So start by getting consecrated now getting set apart, living a life that's holy and pure. So that way, the internal heart, you're walking in lockstep with Jesus so that when you have that opportunity to change jobs or whatever it is that God may call you to do, when that comes up, your heart is so closely knit to Christ that the external changes aren't a big deal because you're already there. I've heard somebody describe this as putting your yes on the table and letting God put it on the map. Maybe for some of you that are more physically oriented, like you want to actually sit down and and sign off the deed to your life. Say, God, I'm committing now that whatever you want me to do in 2021, I'm going to do it. Sign your name and put it on the table physically. Just say, God, I'm putting my yes on the table. Now you decide what you want to do with that. The idea is, yes, Lord, now what's the question, right? You're in charge. Whatever you say, I'm going to do it. So that as you get that internal ready, then when the external changes happen, you're ready to go. Whatever God's calling you to do. Guys, we may go back into lockdown. We may have more problems. We may have more difficulties. But you know what each of those is? It's an opportunity to join God at work. The economy may go completely haywire in the next six months, or it may not, by the way. Don't always believe all the doomsday folks. But the economy may go, and you know what that's going to do? That's going to allow us as a church to be able to minister to people who are in need and give them a hope that's beyond what happens in Washington or in Richmond or in the mayor's office. These are opportunities that God's giving us to be involved in what's going on around us. There are going to be lives who are hurting, and we don't rejoice in that. But what we do is we rejoice that we know the answer, and that is to find a life where you're following Jesus and seeing him at work. So start preparing your heart now for the changes. Get ready to go. Set your yes on the table. Look, see if there's any laziness or greed or pride or unbelief or lust or anger or any sin like that that would be keeping you from being set apart for God's use. Get ready to move. Once you're ready to move, the second step is listen to his plan. Listen to his plan. Go back to verses three and four. He commanded the people, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord, your God, carried by the Levitical priest, you're to break camp and follow it. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between yourselves and the ark. Don't go near it so you, you can see the way to go, for you've, traveled, you've not traveled this way before. 
Now, as you notice this, this is a really ridiculous plan, okay? I mean, let's be honest. Let's call it like it is. This plan makes absolutely zero sense when you look at it from the outside. Initially, all we know is that God involves, the the plan involves the Israelites following the Ark of the Covenant from a distance of about a thousand yards away. That's 10 football fields. Keep in mind, if you're not familiar with the Ark of the Covenant, you may be thinking like Noah's Ark was like a big boat, so this must be some big boat and they're going to ride across. That's not what we're talking about here. The Ark of the Covenant was a box, okay? It was only about four feet long, and it was carried by the priests. This box was overlaid with gold, and it was the symbol of God's presence with his people. And so as God's sending the Ark ahead of them, he's symbolizing the fact that his presence is going to go ahead of them into the Promised Land. So they're supposed to say way back because they've not been this way before. Guys, I love that statement. I like new things. I'm one of those that that just loves new stuff and new things happening. But to me, one of the most exciting things in the world is that God would give us an opportunity to see him at work in a way that we've not experienced before. How awesome is that? that God could do things in 2021 that we've never seen before. In in case you think that God doesn't do that anymore, Ephesians chapter three says this. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, amen. Go back to verse 20 again, all right? It says this. Now to him who's able to do above and beyond all that we ask or all that we think. Think about the biggest prayer you've ever prayed, okay? Think about your dreams for what life could be. God can do above and beyond what you could possibly conceive of. Now, that doesn't mean he's always gonna do the thing that's in your head. It means that God's able to do even greater things than you could ever even dream of. Can you imagine if we get to the end of this year and we look back at the way that God's worked in our families, the way that God's worked in our lives as individuals, the way that God's worked through his church and say, man, God did so much more than we ever could have imagined. Wouldn't that be great? See, that's what the Israelites were getting ready to do. They were going somewhere and they were gonna see God do something that they could never have imagined. It's God's plan. Now, jump down with me to verse seven to see how crazy this plan sounds. The Lord said to Joshua, today I'll begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel so that they will know that I will be with you just as I was with Moses, okay? Command the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant when you reach the edge of the water, stand in the Jordan. Now remember, flooded river, right? Massive raging torrent. Think about driving over the bridge to Farallon and looking down at the new river and seeing it going by super fast. Now God says, grab that big gold box and have the priests stand in the edge of the river. Verse nine, Joshua told the Israelites, come closer and listen to the words of the Lord your God. He said, you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly dispossess before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of the whole earth goes ahead of you into the Jordan. Now choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man from each tribe. When the feet of the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of the whole earth, come to rest in the Jordan's water, its water will be cut off. The water flowing downstream will stand up in a mass. My parents had a creek. In fact, they lived on Plum Creek, down in Plum Creek. 
I remember as a kid going down, I remember taking rocks and trying to dam up Plum Creek. If you've ever seen Plum Creek, you know it's not much. But my rudimentary civil engineering skills with a pile of rocks could never successfully build a dam that would hold back Plum Creek. In fact, there was a great moment. I wish you guys had seen it. We were at the beach this week. Sorry, don't mean to rub it in. The water was 63 degrees. You wouldn't have wanted to be there. Caleb, however, wanted to get in the water because he's Caleb. That's our five-year-old. So Caleb runs down to the water at one point to wash his hands. The waves are coming in, and I kid you not, he gets down in the water, and he raises his hand like, stop. Now, does the ocean listen to us when we do that? No. So what's God's plan to stop a raging river? Take some priests, take a big metal box, and stand in the edge of the water, and it's going to cut right off. That makes no sense. One, keep in mind, they're getting ready to cross the river to go meet their biggest military enemy that, they're gonna, that they faced in a while as they're getting ready to try to take the city of Jericho. So if you and I were planning this, we would put our biggest, best soldiers at the very front leading the march across the river because we want to make a show of military force. That's not God's plan. Okay, maybe we'll send a team of engineers. You know, they'll build some kind of something to get us across the, the river. We'll look for a good fording place. Not God's plan. God says, no, send the priests, let them walk up to the edge of the water and stand there. And when they do, the waters are just going to stop. Let me ask you, is that physically possible? Some have tried to explain this away. They've said, oh, well, there are seasons, and it is true that in some drought times, the Jordan River, because it snakes back, it does cut off some overhangs. So there have been times when an earthquake will break rocks off of an overhang and will stop the Jordan River for just a little bit of time. That's not what happens here. God made sure that he crossed them over right at flood stage. So there is no possible explanation for this other than the God of the universe stopped the waters. That's exactly what happens, right? It sounds silly sending a box with stone tablets in front and somehow the waters are going to, to stop. God's plan was physically impossible. It was militarily foolish. So here's what that we take from this. We may not be as fortunate as Joshua where God laid out the plan for him pretty clearly, but know that God has a plan, even if it sounds foolish to us, even if it sounds impossible. God's got a plan. I don't know how. I don't know what he's going to do. I know he can do more than I could ever think, ever ask. I know that God's able to do this. So if if this is God's plan, then here's what he says about that. Jeremiah 32, verse 27. He says, look, I'm the Lord, the God over every creature. Is anything too difficult for me? I love that. You know, we just read that passage in, in Revelation 5 earlier in the service where it said that every creature in all of creation and in, uh, in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the seas and all was declaring the worth of the lamb, right? God says, look, I'm in charge of every single creature on earth. You think this is going to be hard for me? You think this is any big deal? So my challenge for you is I don't think God's going to necessarily call you to go to the Zambezi River and ford it, you know, and walk across it, and he's going to stop it and make it dry up. But guys, if God's calling you to do something, he can and will do the impossible. Things that you never thought you could see. Again, not so that you can be rich, 
not so that you won't have any problems, not so that everything can go fine for you, but for his name and his glory, he can do anything he wants to. So you got to listen for his plan. He specializes in the impossible. So the question for you is, do you trust his plan or are you waiting for him to explain how it all goes, come back with me with something that makes a little bit more sense? Or are you just going to go ahead and do it? Decide now. Whatever his plan, you're going to follow. That's the third part, is following God's lead. So we make sure that we're ready. We get ready to move, whether that's external adjustments that come out of an internal heart change. Then, once that happens, we listen for God's plan, say, all right, God, what is it you're calling us to do? And then, as God does, this is the time to fish or cut bait, right? You've got to follow his lead. God told him to follow the Ark of the Covenant as it went ahead of him. Again, this wasn't what Indiana Jones made it seem like where it's going to zap Nazis. Um, And it's not a boat like Noah's Ark. But the Ark of the Covenant was the physical symbol that God used to remind Israel of his presence with his people. If you remember throughout the rest of the Exodus period when they'd been wandering around in the desert for 40 years, they'd seen God's presence in a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud that led them throughout. And now God sent in the Ark of the Covenant as a symbol of his presence going forward. He gave very specific instructions on how it was to be built and transported, and there were severe consequences when it was ignored. So what God's telling them is to follow his presence into the promised land. They've been used to seeing it, but here it's a little bit different. I love the fact that it describes them as the Lord of all the earth is going ahead of them. Here's what I want you to understand. As we think about plans for the future and what we want to see God do as a church or in our families or in our own lives as individuals, keep in mind that we're not sitting around just dreaming up what we think we want to do for God. We're looking where God's going, standing a little bit of a distance and seeing where he's going and joining him where he's at work. He's inviting us to follow his presence, just like he did the Israelites that day. He said, guys, watch where I go because that's a way that you've never been before. For us, we have a similar way of of acting and reacting is looking to see what's God doing around us? What what are the needs in the lives around us? How's God equipping us to meet those needs? How can I adjust what I do to be able to honor God where he's at? Not just, I think it'd be really cool if I did this for God. So then I start following his lead. He's not sending you somewhere without already being there himself. He's calling you to join him. His plan to get you through this job transition or this past the sinful addiction or the health crisis or the family struggle is not just for you to bear down and pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. His plan is to display his power and his grace and his goodness as you rest in him, as you follow him. That's what God told the Apostle Paul when he was dealing with something that had him discouraged and defeated. God said to me, he says, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. He says, God told Paul, my power is perfected in weakness. Those three days where you're standing there staring at the Jordan River and saying, God, there's not a chance. That's exactly when God loves to show up. Remember, I told you, this church, I was told not to take it. It was going to die. And yet, over the last decade, we've seen God do incredible things. The way that he's worked, the way that he's allowed us to be involved in his work overseas as we've ministered to the endow of Zimbabwe. 
the way he's encouraged our hearts, the way he's challenged us, that we're not perfect. And we've got all kinds of ways that I'd still love to see God work. But God did more than we could ever have imagined as we followed him and as we're continuing to. His grace has been sufficient. His power has been perfected in weakness, doing things that we never thought he could. It's going to be the exact same way when he wants to show himself strong. We'll fail miserably when we do things on our own. But when God's before us, he can move heaven and earth to accomplish what he desires. That's exactly what happens. Read down to verse 14. When the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carried the Ark of the Covenant ahead of the people. Now, the Jordan overflows its banks throughout the harvest season, as a reminder. But as soon as the priests carrying the Ark reached the Jordan, their feet touched the water at its edge, and the water flowing downstream stood still rising up in a mass that extended as far as Adam, the city that's next to Zeraton. The water flowing downstream to the Sea of Arabah, the Dead Sea, was completely cut off, and the people crossed opposite Jericho. The priests carrying the Ark of the Lord, of the, or excuse me, the Lord's Covenant, stood firmly on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel crossed on dry ground until the entire nation had finished crossing the Jordan. In that moment, God did the impossible. Now, if you're familiar, you know there was another time when God took his people across a body of water, right? When God took the Israelites across the Red Sea under Moses' leadership. You know, it's interesting. That was still miraculous. But God said that at that time, he sent an east wind to drive the waters back. Here, there's no mention of wind. The priests simply put their feet in the water and it stops. Now, again, the Red Sea was no less of a miracle but I love that God doesn't even send any kind of human agent. There's no physical explanation other than the power of the incredible God who's the Lord of all the earth who stopped the water as soon as the priest touched. Just in case there was confusion, well, maybe, you know, like like you said, maybe there was the earthquake that stopped it up. It said that they passed by on dry ground. Dry ground. Riverbeds don't dry, right? Like there's always this silt. It's always little puddles and stuff like that. For God made it dry immediately by his power as he sent his presence ahead of his people. You know what else I love? I've always wondered, like, did they just walk? Or did they they kind of scurry? (laughs) You know? Regardless, God wasn't straining. You actually find that as you go into chapter 4, they go back and they get some stones and they come back out. And then when the priests finally come out of the the bottom of the Jordan, it's like God snaps his fingers and the water starts flowing. By the way, the cities that it backed up to, it was about 25 miles that the water backed up because God just held it for his people. Here's my question for you. Is God any different than he was? Has he changed in 3,000 years? Is he less powerful? Is he less in charge of all creation In case you have a question about that, the answer is a resounding no. He is the same God he always has been. I don't know what he's going to call you to do in 21, but I know that if you're willing to go on with him, he can do more than you could ever imagine, even the impossible. And he can do it completely as he let every single one of them cross. So get yourself ready. Listen for his plan. And when he starts moving, follow his lead. Now, before we move on, I want to point out one more truth about this beautiful passage. 
Keep in mind that the greatest obstacle that you and I could ever face is death itself, right? Now, it's interesting because many songs have been written using that picture of crossing the Jordan River as going, you know, from life to death, right? And then one day I'll cross the river, I'll fight life's final war with pain. This idea of crossing the river in death, it's interesting because the ark represents the presence of God to his people, right? Well, last month we talked about a person who came to earth to show us God's glory. Do you remember who that was? Come on, it's one of your Sunday school answers. Who came to earth to show God's glory? Please tell me I'm not this bad of a pastor. Jesus, right, good. Okay, yeah, yeah, Jesus, the Bible, the Holy Spirit, God. Those are your Sunday school answers. So yeah, Jesus, go with Jesus every time. Jesus came to show God's presence and God's glory on earth, right? Now, it's interesting because what, what did it say here about the Jordan River? It says there in verse 16, the water flowing downstream to the Sea of Arabah, the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. Now, some would say, well, you're making too much out of this. Guys, God's woven pictures of Christ throughout the entire Bible. The Dead Sea is the lowest point on earth. Everything that flows into that dies. Nothing can live in it. Isn't it amazing to think about the fact that as the presence of God entered the Jordan River, death itself was cut off. It points us to the fact that one day God's deliverance for his people wouldn't be just to get them into a city where they'd, or into a land but that Jesus would come, that he would enter in the river for us, that he would take my death upon himself, that he would die in my place and in yours, and in doing so, rising from the dead to cut death itself off. See, Jesus rising from the dead proves that death is not final for the believer. It proves that God has victory over what is our greatest obstacle. And so no matter what takes place in 2021, I know this for a fact. Jesus has died and been raised to overcome the greatest obstacle you will ever face. So if today you've never trusted in him as your Savior and Lord, put your trust, all of your eggs, in that basket. Place your life in his control and the God who loved you so much that he would die in your place and be raised from the dead to overcome, as we talked about earlier in this service, surrender to him. May not make much sense. There may be things that are confusing. There may be things that are challenging that you don't understand. But you'll see God do more than you could ever imagine. Bow your heads with me and close your eyes for just a minute. I'm going to invite Daniel to come up here just to give us a minute to kind of do business with God. Here's what I know is going to happen. We, we talk about this often. As soon as we say amen here in a minute and dismiss you, you're going to go back to your life. This is the week when if you've had time off, everything's going back to full schedules, back to schools, back to appointments and all those kind of things. This may be your last quiet moments before you get back into the fray. So here's a question for you. What decisions is God calling you to make? Is there a relationship that needs to change because you're not living in a God-honoring way? Is there a way that you need to change spending your time? Is God calling you to a major shift like a job change or move? Is God calling you to step out in obedience in some way? There's something you've been holding back on that you know it's a sin that he's calling you to 
give up, a step of obedience he's calling you to take. Right now, why don't you ask God to start making those internal changes in you? If you don't have a a change in mind that God's placed on your heart right now, would you ask God to help you to get ready for whatever it is that may have to change this year? Would you ask God for the grace to help you to be willing to believe that he can do the impossible, to glorify himself when everything else seems crazy? If you're here today and you haven't surrendered to Christ, now would be a great time. Go ahead and start off this new year fresh and say, God, I want to start off with a relationship with you. Walk with you. I know I've sinned. I need you to forgive me. I want to walk with you and honor you. Maybe you've doubted that God can do what he says he can do. Would you say again, God, I trust you. I'm going to commit to following however you lead. Do business with God just for a moment, and then I'll close this in prayer. Father, we we look forward to what you want to do this year. God, would you excite us about the possibilities, the places you could involve us in your work, the things we could see you do, the way we could grow in you? God, would you encourage us about that? We know you can do far above all that we could ask or think. So we ask that you would be glorified to do just that. We confess, though, that we are a people who often doubt. Your ways are so much bigger and so much different than ours that there's a lot of days we don't know that we can make this work. And truthfully, we can't. So God, we're going to need you to do the impossible this year. Not for us, but for your name, for your glory and for your renown. We need you to move so that we can see your kingdom grow and expand. We need wisdom to know how to be involved, what lives you want us to partner with, how you want us as a church to engage in the brokenness around us, or how you want us as individuals to use our time and our resources God, we want to do this year right for you. We want to follow you. So when it comes time to make decisions, would we clearly see you leading and choose to go on with you instead of stay where we are? Thank you for your word and the way you worked through Joshua and the nation of Israel. Thank you for Jesus and the way that he took death for us. Thank you for the hope we have in him. Help us to walk in that hope this week. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.